Blog Talk Radio. Here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Okay, we're live and on the air out of New York. Welcome aboard, all you ground troops spinning around smartly. On the planet, we call home Earth Gaia. This is the UFO Association tonight with your reporters, Jan Aldrich and Teresa J. Morris, your new UAP associates on the airwaves, radio waves, which we always have available to you. And this is our 10th year anniversary So we're really excited to be sharing this, although we've been together for a long time. So we're going to discuss a little bit of who we are, so you'll know from now on what we're about and what we're achieving in this new after the year 2020. So you may hear some words you know, but you know everything is live and being recorded now. So we're very aware of what's going on in the world, especially after the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard show. Court case, uh, defamation of character, maybe, uh, but we're going to be very careful, but we're really excited to be here 10 years. And Jan Aldrich has been with us for many, many years in the government, the military, but he uh, wore uniforms, and we're going to talk about that. I wore Navy, Army, Air Force, Marines. He wore Army and United States Post Office, and maybe some others. We both worked in vaults, and we'll talk about that. But we're going to be UIP associates on this cyberspace culture airwaves tonight. But we represent UFO Association, and he and I have both been involved with several old uh, ARPA, DARPA, UFO, NICAP uh, files uh, that other people have talked about, not to mention his 1947 project, are in reverse Project 1947, which is a website and an archivist. He's a historian, researcher, and has devoted most of his life as a civilian to helping us in ace folk life society. We're historians and we're orators, and he has been so generous to help us revive our old UFO Association, our UFO HQ, and our Allied Command Organization. And now we've got the UFO Association we're setting up for all our archives. So we're going to talk about that now. Without further ado, let me bring on our orator for the day and historian and researcher and ufologist, Jan Aldrich. Can you hear me now? (laughs) Yes, I can. Oh, good. You sound great. Pleasure to be here tonight. Um, uh, something you may be interested in, I just looked at the email, and uh, Juan Vicente uh, Balesero almost uh, sent me an email, and he said, where is the first use of UAP? And ah. I told him, well, it's not government. <laughs> I said, uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Haynes, when he formed NARCAP, the... Uh, uh, he he wanted to uh, get away from UFOs. He didn't he didn't want NARCAP to be uh, characterized as a UFO organization. It's a 
uh, an aviation safety organization. And one of the things it looks at was UAP. So he used that long before the government even started thinking about it. So he used it uh, more than uh, more than uh, a decade ago. He was he was using that. I gave that to Ballester almost, and he uh, he told me, "Well." You know, that's really something. He didn't realize that. Of course, he's over in Europe. He's in Spain. So, uh, <clears throat> but he wanted to know that. Um, uh, Let's what actually what he was yourself. getting on to me for mm-hmm. is uh, I had promised him to do um, an inventory of uh, former investigations in the United States into UFOs and uh, uh, significant events in UFO history. And so I'm up to about uh, um, uh, 145 items in my my list here. And some of these things are, you know, real interesting because – yeah, everybody knows about Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book. But uh, coming in and out of the uh, uh, government purview is uh, projects that maybe last for a few months or a few years, and then they disappear and go away. And, uh, of course, the big one that... Uh, has never gone away since 1951 is the uh, communications instructions for reporting vital intelligence. That has never gone away. Although they won't let us have any information, we have a way to get around that, at least some of the time. The Canadians are not... um, security freaks like the United States. So generally what they do is uh, they, uh, after after a month or so, they all these service reports um, that come under this, uh, uh, instructions, um, they make public. And they sent a copy to uh, Chris Rakowski in Manitoba. And now that he's retiring, he is sending all the his material and also all the government material he had for the last two or three decades as being the point of contact for UFOs in Canada. And so the Royal Canadian Mounted Police sends him material, the... Uh, uh, the Canadian Air Force, or they—they—they they, uh, they have combined all their military together. So um, it—it's really the the uh, forces um, UFO reports. They all go to him. Uh, mm-hmm. Non-meteoritic files—they go to him. So 
he has all of these, and right now the University of Manitoba has these, and they have the money now, and they're going to start scanning these things. So uh, Transport Canada is another um, agency that reports these things out. So while... uh, the U.S. government won't even tell us what shapes the UFOs they they see or the UAPs. I'm sorry, they're seeing <laughs> the uh, the Canadians. <laughs> the Canadians give us all the reports they you know the that 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 uh, Chris can handle. So it's, wow. it's it's quite quite interesting and uh, and like I said, they have enough money now. The university had a. Um, of fundraisers, about uh, 60 people took part, and they now have enough money to start scanning all this material, make it available at at one of the university sites. They have already made some available, um, and everybody recalls the Mikulik uh, case. So that is available at at the university. And uh, um, they'll be doing more and making more of it available. So uh, we can watch the hearings and have them say, well, we should have transparency. (laughs) But Canada already has it. (laughs) They kept saying for the next, like behind closed doors, for the next session, or is that classified type stuff? You know, it was like only for the guys, but all these guys look like they're young senators. They weren't around when Philip Corso and Strom Thurmond and Ronald Reagan was all hustling, maybe some of them Ronald Reagan era. But, uh, you know, I got involved during the Reagan-Bush era, and, uh, of course, you and I were in 80 to 93 at least. When did you join the military? Let's get your military. Uh, 1967 in August. Me too. Okay, so I was May 10th, 1967, retired May 10th, 2017, so 50 years. And you have 50 years in total on your pension, right? 67 till what year? Well, I, no, I have, a, I have a military pension and I have a post office pension. They're separate, okay, but 50 years. They're separate, yeah. Yeah, the post office pension is, in 25 years, that doesn't get you very much, let me tell you. (laughs) But. I'm sorry. I I didn't do it for the pension. I did it for the, uh, you know, to have uh, normal income. And I socked away almost all my uh, my post office dollars in into uh iras so what happened to the wife and kids you didn't have any or did you not do the american you know house with a dog and two kids and you know I chicken have, and everything i have uh, i have a, i have a boy and he has four grandkids so oh you did have one got, child okay yeah so. i had four yeah, new, uh, I, uh, they just welcomed a new granddaughter, so <clears throat> congratulations! I, I, I guess what they were going to do, they were going to keep on having kids until they had a girl. So they got three boys. 
always I told my son, that. you know, if you, if you if you get another boy, just leave him at the hospital. Oh, I, I never had a boy. I had four girls. I had just the opposite. I kept trying. After four, I said, tie me up. <laughs> so I was, yeah. I was done. But, I, you know, in the military, I had to rehire. I had to get my whites changed. So, the gosh, thing, oh, God, we don't even want to go there. So back to UFOs. So with your history, I want to get uh, everybody acknowledging that we are civilians, retired. We're the old guys and men in black kind of people. Even though it was intelligence, we were intelligence. And uh, Jan and I worked in vaults in information security, and I'm sure you had a very high clearance because you did work, uh, you know, overseas. And didn't you work in Germany or something? Uh, you didn't work. Alex yeah, I had. Uh, well, I was. I was. Uh, I was. Sometimes I was. You know, you, you switch jobs. <clears throat> sometimes mm-hmm. I was the security manager. Sometimes I was the. Uh, um, classified document custodian. So, uh, you know, and you you have all these extra duties too. Uh, so I had to uh, teach people the nuclear release authentication system, which was for releasing nuclear weapons. Um, now, did so you I have a whole in the civilian? Of, let's talk real quick huh? about clearances. Uh, you had a uh, in civilian life. If you're doing, uh, you have Q or above for nuclear, right? The Q. Right, that, but the, uh, the the government doesn't. Since 1954, the military does not use Q. They do their right. own. They they do their mm-hmm. own thing. So I didn't have a Q clearance. I had a. I had a. Uh, um, above top secret RTS. No, uh, there is no such thing as above top secret. It's a it's a big bunch of uh, a phony baloney. Special. There's no 69, 69 uh, levels above top secret. Yeah, the royal. way they do that really? is they it's you you belong to like a club, right? And right. it's called uh, com, a compartment. So you have sensitive compartment. <laughs> Compartmentalized information, SCI. Exactly. So if you're working on something special, then there's a list of people in that compartment. Mm -hmm. They have to be read in. So all these people say, I didn't know what my clearance was. Oh, you're lying. Um, You know you get read in and you know exactly where you are and where you stand and everything like that. If and it's got to be simple enough. It's got to be simple enough. So um, a PFC MP can understand what it is. <laughs> it's not super uh, complicated. They make it simple enough. So I, I, uh, like I said, the NRAS, uh, NRAS system was a uh, – It's n- it wasn't an SCI thing, but it was a compartmentalized thing. So I had a list. I had to every, – every month I had to produce a list of everybody that was in our NRAS program. Um, if I misspelled the name, I had to go and do it over from you know wow. almost from yeah. scratch so it was a real pain 
Yeah, they still like that on you, the You couldn't uh, have in the you, and and yeah, and for uh so if we had a meeting or something, uh, there had to be uh, a, a guard there, and he didn't have the he didn't have a, a, a high clearance. He just had a clearance enough to be able to cross people off the list when they came in. And, well, now and if Army, they weren't if they weren't allowed, then uh, uh, then they couldn't get in. That that and that's how. That's how above top secret works. It's, now, it's national not like all these uh, UFO weirdos try to tell you this is the way. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that <laughs> well, let's way. Start, it, let's start with those at boot camp, national agency check. Now, back in the day when I was in Office of Personnel Management, OPM, for you people that are listening, I know, I know y'all all think we're miserable people out there because we come and get into your clearance, right? OPM, Office of Personnel Management, and then we have, you know, we have national agency check to start, and you'll have DOD or DIA or DEA or whoever's doing your background check. I guess these days it's Homeland Security, but at least back in the day when Jan and I was in, and I brought people in from national agency check, okay? And then after that, if you're lucky – you know, and they like you. They may give you a confidential, depending on where you're at, and then it goes from yeah. confidential yeah. to secret. And then we have – well, actually, we had top secret, but I guess maybe you didn't. But we had confidential. I did. I had top secret. You, you okay, we had a confidential. <clears throat> you needed a background investigation, or if you were yep. going to get into an SCI position, you needed a um, – you needed a a, a, a a special background investigation, SBI. However, exactly. Yeah, we didn't work that way. It's a little different in the army. Yeah, well, we listen, had uh, we had the uh, we had the central clearance facility. Okay. And so if I if I needed somebody with a uh, with a See, there's no. They didn't issue confidential at that uh, when I when I was in the uh, security oh, business. Really? Uh, the, the you you issued a a uh, you asked for a secret or a top secret um, or top secret uh, SBI. So. Or a but you still had to have a need to know, right? Because that was Ames after right, 85. right, right. But that's got nothing to do with that. The central clearance okay. facility was the people that gave the clearance. So okay. what I did is I did a local check. I did a. Uh, I uh, I asked the medics Please, if there was anything Sarah. wrong with these people. Medical. I did a MP check. And then I sent that to the central uh, clearance facility. They did. They okay. got the FBI to do the uh, uh, national agency check. And okay. so the, yeah. the F, uh, FBI would the... report back to the uh, central clearance facility. And uh, we had it all um, coded. The FBI and if, if, if everything was in order, they would mm-hmm. issue up to a secret clearance. Now, if you're going to be uh, top secret, you needed uh, an SBI. Now, right. we had a lot of people that 
that uh, didn't necessarily need a top secret. They got it on paper. They got the their their clearance said they were top secret, but when I put out the clearance list, I said they were only authorized for secret. So, um, and I was told that's what to do. You we only want to have uh, as few people as possible of top secret. So the commander XO. Yeah, XO all the all the battery commanders, all the most almost all the officers, and uh, the the you know the main uh, uh, guys that uh, uh, needed clearances or uh, needed uh, communications clearance they don't have crypto anymore they used to have crypto but they they don't they That's don't have a they separate had crypto thing when i was in in hawaii they had crypto no no more separate. not in the army they don't well, what if, you got a, if you got a if you got a secret crypto? clearance if you got a secret clearance you can, they, they they they'll put you on the list for communications and you can do That's you don't need uh, that okay. uh, crypto you did at one time yeah i uh, yeah, I, I I used to have that secret when I first went in. I had the secret crypto, and then they took that off the clearance form. And I said, "What's this?" And they said, "No, you don't need that anymore. Well, you're going to be uh, that if you're going to use uh, uh, radio, <clears throat> uh, yeah. you just need to be on the uh, on the uh, Comsec, the Communication Security list, yeah. to sign out." To sign out crypto, so they, uh, you know, it was, it was a big bureaucratic thing. So they just said, "Okay, we're going to push this down to the unit. We're going to push oh, down really? to the battalion." Well, and they said, well, "We're not, you know, the 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 guys in Washington don't have to get involved here." They didn't like the so, bureaucratic red tape. Right. There's. Uh, it takes long enough to get a clearance, anyways. Well, we've had to have all these guys that say they they got a clearance in in a couple of days from uh, wow. to top secret. No, you don't. You don't. Mm-hmm. It takes a while. It takes a while. If you had one before, it might be easy. You can get an, and then there's what's called an interim, but you don't actually exactly. you, interim. You, yep, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, so it's. I got a couple of those. So that's the way. Uh, that's the, the army that. operates a little different, like that. So the uh, well, the air force um, was where I was trained first, Larry Air Force Base. So on uh, right. all the clearances, but uh, they had interim, but they also they had secret. I, I had immediate secret, but they were regulating on my uh, above top. Well, I don't it, like you said compartmentalized, but uh, the TS. But I don't remember. I'm not supposed to talk about any of that. So you're like, yes, you stop it secret, basically. And if you talk about anything above that, they that was when the Ames are it was 1985. They had all this stuff because they took me from air traffic controller prior, which you know I passed all that, and I even passed for uh, women, even though I was experiment for uh, the Marines, but they wouldn't take me because. Uh, they uh, they wouldn't teach me snorkeling or all that. However, I did go get to you know pass all the swimming tests and everything. But uh, I on Ford Island was where I had to go and take the test. Ford Island, uh, the that was in the Navy though, not Army. Army I did outside of Great Lakes 
Fort Shafter, and then I did Great Lakes was Navy Hospital Corps School, and then JAG. So I learned JAG investigations, Federal Bureau. But before I was in the field as an investigator and in doing FBI cases in the field, in the 70s while I was going to University of Alabama before they took me active duty again. So that was 80. So with you coming in at 80, no, you came in 67. I right? came in in 67, but I was, I was, uh, I was a S2, or I worked in the S2. Sometimes I was the S2. They didn't have an officer. They just appointed me S2. Um, that, wow, that's you unusual. Mean back then they didn't they have don't. They don't usually do that for enlisted people. They don't usually do that. But the, uh, yeah, there's a couple of times I was the S2. Um, Jeez, are and you it's, kidding? It's me? an officer position, so <laughs> what that year was, a, was that. And I said, you know what? I got enough to do as an NCO. I don't need this. I don't need this uh, extra stuff. But um, I remember that feeling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the commander said, but, and then nobody believes all the responsibility. And, and the battalion commander says. You'll do what I tell you to do. Do you understand? Exactly. I say, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. That's right. And so <laughs> then at, at one. Uh-oh. Hello? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I lost you. Um, did you fall off? Yeah, so he said uh, the, the, uh, we were under a full colonel there, and I, he said, uh, I need you to budget it, and usually it's a you know it's an officer and right we had a major that was an adjutant we had uh, um, the XO was an adjutant and I think we had the S one officer was the adjutant was an adjutant he says I need extra I need another adjutant so he said you're uh, you're an adjutant. I got orders appointing me adjutant. I said, I've never heard of an enlisted adjutant. And the colonel said, I haven't either, but you're one now. <laughs> That's what I was called, too. And then you work for the adjutant general, <laughs> AG. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I I knew not to push it, though. Everything I did, if if I did something that, um, you know, if I was putting something in writing, I checked with the adjutant first, and uh, uh, she would say, "Okay, put this in writing as a letter from you to me as to what you're doing here." as to what task you're doing and explain it and said uh she said i'll hold that in my file because it's so unusual for this guy to be adjutant so um that's what what she did i I didn't i didn't uh i think i i did uh one or two oaths i think I, i i swore one or two but I checked with the S1 or or, or the uh, the adjutant first. I checked with her or the uh, S1 and said, uh, this guy needs an oath. You know, some some 
sometimes it was hard to vote in the military because the states had, you know, they you had to take an oath that you were um, um, a resident of that state. And, they, you know, they, they did away with that. But at that time, that was still in there. So I had to, you know, I had to do that. I gave oath. What but everything that? I did, I checked with um, that's one or my boss, the real agent, and uh, um, I had to make but, uh, a turn. So, so uh, uh, Mark Rodiger gave me an assignment to investigate this case down in uh, New Mexico, uh, 1956. What year? What? And huh? When and that, did you get that this? happened in 1956. Mark Rodiger gave me this case to investigate, and so I called the guy up on the phone and we talked. And uh, he said, uh, "Yeah, I was an adjutant for the uh, missile battalion down there at the uh, Holloman Air Force Base." And yeah. I said, "Oh," I said, uh, "And I was an adjutant." And. Uh, he says, that's really unusual. And I said, yes, it is. And so we hit it off because he had been an adjutant. So he he, he was he was kind of amused that the enlisted man was an adjutant. So he, he exactly. was very cooperative after that. So, And he, uh, his sighting was really interesting because he was running through uh, – uh, he was going, I think, to uh, uh, El Paso – and on his way, he was going through uh, Oro Grande, which at the time was a ghost town. And so he got to the edge of the town there, and he saw a red light in the distance, and it got closer, and uh, it landed on this hilltop. It wasn't you know? And he 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 uh, stopped his car, and this is at night. He, he climbed over this fence and went up there to take a look. And uh, this is maybe a quarter mile off the road. So as he's getting closer and closer and closer, the thing is on the ground, and it's giving out a red light. And as he started approaching it, um, it, took, it took off. And so he, uh, he said, I never reported that. But you know what? It's late in life, and now's the time to do that. So that's um, we got that report, and uh, so sometimes Mark Rodiger asks Brad Sparks or Barry Greenwood or myself to look into certain cases, um, and if they're military, I usually get involved. Maybe Sparks and I will get involved together. And uh, so we uh, we investigate these cases, and it's it you know it, military people understand each other, so um, that's kind of a um, to make the uh, witness more comfortable. Um, and some of these guys are. Like I say, they're they're uh, they're getting up there in age. They're like me, you know. They're in their seventies and everything. And they uh, they say, "Hey, this happened in the fifties. 
I don't think there's any reason not to talk about it or when we investigated the Minot case um, in October 1968, the, uh, the SAC guys, uh, B-52 crew, they told us, we won the Cold War. We're going to talk about it if we want to. He said, you know, so that, that uh, the case was already in Blue Book, but talking to these guys, and we talked to everybody that was alive, they were all on different positions in the aircraft. One guy was the pilot. They had a, a, a Czech pilot with them so that he... He got the he got actual flying time, so he could keep his uh, rating, and then the uh, the radar guy and the EM guy and the uh, um, tail gunner. Uh, they all they all had a different vantage point as to what where the UFO was or how they saw it. Like the radar and the EM guys, they only. Uh, ECM guys, they were they only uh, saw it on the on their equipment. Um, and I said ECM guys, no, there was only one. There was a radar radar man, and he was an officer. And there was an ECM, and he was an officer. And this was as a B fifty two, so it was a nuclear uh, carrier, but at the at this time that the case happened, they were doing a check flight because the aircraft that came off, came off alert status. So that's what they do after it comes off alert status. They fly it all around to check all systems work. And, and then it goes, uh, it goes in for maintenance. And then when it's, when it's rotated back into, uh, uh, active service it, then it's but uh, in the meantime they do all kinds of checks and everything and everything's redundant so one of the things they had was during the sighting at Minot um, the radio cut out so the co-pilot said well I just went to the other radio Nope. So then they did all their anti-jamming and all their anti-EMC uh, things, and it was the it, the UFO was was uh, was responsible for that, and uh, that's so that's that's an important part of this case. This never went to the Condon Committee, even though it was. Before Condon, Condon's report came out, <clears throat> they kept fussing with this case in the Air, Air Force. So the day that the uh, Condon report was submitted to the uh, uh, the Secretary of the Air Force, that was the day the Minot case was completed. Uh, so <clears throat> that way. It avoided the uh, Minot case going to the Condon Committee. Uh, so there's a lot of skullduggery going on in the UFO business. Um, 
There's another case like that, which involved the uh, looking glass. Now, looking glass was uh, the airborne command center for the uh, um, for SAC for the Strategic Air Command back in the 60s. This happened in uh, 68. The Minot case happened in 68. Now, the the Condon people knew that there was a case involving looking glass because they kept buggering the Air Force for more information, pilot interviews and things like that. And the pilot, always on TDY, always on leave, oh, he went to the South Pacific, Uh, right, everything. So it did not, it was not uh, taken up by the accounting committee, but really doesn't really make much difference. So I've got 11 important cases like that uh, that I I talk about in the the, uh, major events. Well, tell us about Uh, Looking Glass, because you hear so many people in other uh, niche genres in ufology, uh, whether they're entertainment or real history, we don't know, unless you can prove your sources, right? But you're saying... Well, it it ended up in Blue Book. It's not the whole story, but it ended up in Blue Book. Now, uh, Minot case... The B-52 interacted with the UFO. The UFO uh, uh, interfered with the radio transmission. And like I say, the systems are redundant because if a radio gets knocked out, the other one takes over. So, uh, And it interfered with both radios. So the looking glass case... The looking yeah, glass looking case. Glass. Okay. That's, that's the the Air Force has at, at the time, you know, '68. Uh, uh, we were in the Vietnam conflict and everything, and so they always had. Uh oh, I'm losing you. The brown people. My or yours. Okay. Let's see. Okay. It may be mine, uh, you know, as we talked about before. Yeah, Ben's in Connecticut, or sometimes the, you, know, you get a low, a weak signal, right? right? I'm hoping it's just your phone. I hope it's not the whole network, but I don't see any glitches. It's still running on air. So we've got one hour and 18 minutes left. Seems, uh, I don't know how much you want to cover tonight, but uh, I wanted to get some more of your history on here if they don't know the name Jan Aldrich, if you don't mind. My, uh, we're both prior military folks, prior GIA government service. So uh, we're holding the, the line for those cases uh, separate from civilian cases, separate from those of today what's called alien contact or alienology. But Dr. Bruce McAbee helped us start in 2015, but he had done – uh, spake, he had already spoke at the Central Intelligence Agency about things that they didn't know. So it's going to be the same thing with people in government. <laughs> so many of these people in government have no clue. They weren't there. They don't know about having access or compartmentalized. They know what 
whether they're read in or not. That's what they call it now. Uh, it used to be need to know. I guess do they still say a need to know after? Yeah, they sure I do. Got out? Well, okay. if you heard those two high-ranking officials at the uh, at hearing? the uh, congressional uh, uh, hearings, those guys are they're neophytes. They don't know anything. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very embarrassing. You know, and 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 uh, the government says everything's. You know they they're they're only going back to 2004. I'm sorry. There's you know there's another 50 years. There's another 50 years of of history before that. They're and that's why I wrote this. Uh, only they cut a line yeah. at 2004 because it leaked out, right? So and I did my UFO. Uh, well, not dissertation. But I'm having to put in a, a benchmark at 2004 because that's when all the people that had been building ufology for the UFO Association and all of them, you can think of all the acronyms all the way back before uh, QFO, Center for UFO Studies. So I could do PR work later in life, which is now when I retired, I guess, with you. And, you know, Dr. Bruce McAbee and Stanton Friedman, people like that. But now, you know, Stanton's passed on and those in old ufology. But now we're going to use UAP after, I guess, 2020 was the hindsight's 2020. I know you, you, we need to benchmark this on the UFO hearings. All right. So those began. So those guys gonna, didn't know anything about um May they 17th, said, 2022, one, one of the May things 16th. they said at the at the at the uh, hearings was what happened after Project Blue Book. Well, there and were all kinds of things that happened after is. Project Blue Book. And you think they've even read it? They even know what it is in the congressional hearings? I mean, I, the guy, one guy was talking about. Yeah, going they they said, uh, well, we don't know what happened after. They don't, we don't we we have uh we have no information about what happened out that no i mean well, they you know, may there's not. been hundreds of foyers done so there's ufo stuff that's out there well yeah open up the it's cia official file. government documents so right. uh um uh they can't even um, read what we have historically no. They're just not doing their homework, just like they don't read. They, the, well, you know, they, they don't know. They don't know. They earmark. So, I, uh, it's ridiculous what they're doing. I, I sent I sent uh, an earlier draft copy of this list of investigations and uh, sensitive information to the to the DODIG, the Inspector wow. General. Wow. Yeah. And he said, uh, um, he said he has, uh, what I sent is I sent him, uh, I sent the IG, I sent. Oh, they got Michael Swords and Robert Powell wrote, and I had some contributions to. I sent him a copy of the book. I sent them. 
some uh, UFO cases that I, we had skied and sent them maybe uh, um, uh, three or four hundred UFO cases on a, a thumb drive that we had scanned from World War II all the way forward. And uh, uh, and so uh, um, I got a call, and they, uh, the man said, I don't know anything about this except I've been told to call you and ask you if you can, if I can, if DOD can um, uh, distribute this. <laughs> And I said, of course. Don't worry about copyright. That's why I sent it to you. <laughs> Help yourself. And I said, did, did you see the book? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. What book are you talking about? Oh, so I told Lord. him UFOs of government. And he said, no, I just got a, I got a, a book slip with your telephone number and ask him permission to distribute this. And, and that's, that's all I have. Government. <laughs> and I, it, he said, I don't know. He said, I, I can see the subject is, um, we've, we've heard a lot about this subject, but I don't know anything about it. I am not involved at all. Oh, they don't want and, to be. Uh, I they said, don't okay. He said, I've just been told by my boss to call you and ask if it can be distributed. And I said, okay, you can distribute it. You know, I, I, uh, there, there's nothing in there that's a uh, proprietor or anything like that. And I didn't violate any confidences or clearances by doing that. So uh, I said, because um, everything I know, every, everything I know about UFOs is, is, uh, is un- declassified now <laughs> or unclassified. So right. they can't read it. So, they? you know, got- and he, I, you know, I tried to ask him what they're you what they're doing or what they. He said, "I don't know." He said, "I, oh, I seriously do not know." I got this buck slip, and I don't know anything else that you sent them. If you sent them other things, because I sent them a, a thumb drive with examples of UFO cases that I've been scanning. And oh, he said, "I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know about any thumb drive." And I don't well, know I any, anything about any book. From and I, I, I did not see the letter you sent. What? He didn't even see your letter? No. He got a he buck just slip. Had a phone. With, he got a buck Jesus. slip. And I, I had this thing. I called it uh, um, Historical UFO Investigations. Uh, official investigations uh, and it, it just doesn't cover uh, the military I mean there were some outside too maybe we need to prompt <laughs> so, them you know what it is we've got to give them the questions to ask they don't how can they get the answers but see they don't know anything they're just the dog and pony show as usual for all the majors yeah yeah the uh, you know. Well, I, CBS, I, you know, NBC, I, I, ABC, I gave him, I, I, I sent this CNN. to the IG. I sent it to the ONI. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. I sent it to the office of the DNI. 
and uh, I, I I told uh, uh, Richard Themes I sent him a copy of that book, and he said, "Well, I've got uh, I I did you one better." He said, "I I gave a copies uh, of the book to an Air Force general that works for Avril Haines." So, uh, and he said he would put it in her hands, and I said, "Yes, you did go give me, you did do me one better." <laughs> so he, the, uh, um, Richard Themes is very well known uh, computer security guy, and he was he was at the National Cathedral when when uh, she spoke there. And so after well, the uh, present, after that, he went up. You know, he went to this, uh, met the general there, and he's a three-star general. He works. He's a, like her main uh, assistant. And um, you want to tell him a copy of UFOs in government. You want to mention? Yeah, uh, and, it's a public national intelligence council. But we have global trends uh, in a, a contested world. But the office—you want to say what ODNI is? For it's everybody? the office of the director of national intelligence. She's the main. There you go. She is. She's the very top of the intelligence pyramid. Mm-hmm. With all the. So so I I levels. sent I sent I sent I I didn't send it to her. I sent it to the. To the ODNI, but like I said, Haynes, uh, a theme, Richard theme, he put he put this a copy of the book into the general's hand, and the general promised he would put it into Avril Haynes' hands. So they're still in uniform, is what you're saying. We're the old guys, men in black, or women in black, or both, are intelligent. Well, Avril Haynes is spending. Uh, yeah, excuse me, not. Uh, yeah, Avril Haines has been in intelligence. She's she's had all these high-ranking intelligence things, including the CIA. So, um, so she was picked to be the director of national intelligence. If you read her um, her resume, it's super impressive. It's super impressive. She's uh, so. She's not some, uh, let's see, Radcliffe. He was a former DNI, and uh, he's no slouch either, but he did not have, I mean, he was a congressman, and he got appointed uh, uh, DNI. But she's been working in intelligence her whole life, so that's that's a little different. Now, do you think that do you think However, Admiral Hayes, Memory Alpha? I'm sorry, go ahead. What's that? I was thinking um, that Admiral Hayes was playing uh, in the Federation. No, Avril, Avril. It's Avril, Avril like uh, her name is Avril. <laughs> She's not Admiral. She's Avril. That's her first name. Avril so Hayes. She's, yeah, and she's, like I say, She's got an impressive thing. She's worked all her life in intelligence, and uh, she should be sitting at the top of it. But Radcliffe was a congressman, and he was the 
he was her predecessor. And he's the one that said, we've picked up UFOs on uh, our, our satellites have picked them up. So uh, she hasn't admitted that, nor did the report that came out uh, uh, the year before admit that. So uh, they didn't say a thing about it. They didn't say a thing about getting stuff from uh, from uh, satellite tracking. So you're a pro. But Radcliffe said Admiral Haynes person. Yeah. You like okay? Well, that's interesting because you know, uh, being a woman over all the sixteen U.S. intelligence agency, that's pretty high up, folks. Is far as the spook business. Yeah, that's it. That's a, there's nobody uh, the next the next person is the president. That's right. But she was a plane enthusiast, right? That's how she got it. And being a lawyer and she's a, also a brown judo belt. I don't know why she didn't go on for black, probably cuz she had, didn't have time <laughs> being a yeah. spook. <laughs> but okay, her background though, uh it's very, very uh, bipartisan, but she was confirmed. Right, right. She's uh, not the first yeah. nominee with eighty-four to ten in the Senate House. So there you go. Everybody seemed to like her. She was nonpartisan, and but in the intelligence community, they don't care whether you're red, blue, black, or white. That's just the way. It's just get the facts, ma'am. That's the way I was trained in the intelligence community. Just get the facts. So. Uh, how do you do you study her? Have they made a movie about her yet in intelligence? No, no. I was, uh, Hollywood grabbed her. I, I was I was I was uh see Radcliffe had re, he he's no longer the DNI, you know, uh last year sometime. I think it was November, so anyways it was a it was a acting position for a while. Anyways. Um, so Radcliffe was describing how he, uh, how he got the position and, uh, he knows a lot about intelligence. He's, he's not a, uh, um, so he's, uh, at the time the speaker of the house was, uh, Michaels and Michaels had, uh, had a, uh, a position opened on the um, House Intelligence Committee. So uh, Radcliffe went up to Michaels and said, um, hey, boss, I think I would like to be on the Intelligence Committee, and here's the reasons why. Here's, the, you know, what, I, what I've done in my experience. And he says, but if you're going to appoint anybody and you don't want to appoint me, uh, Trey Gowdy would be the, the, the man to appoint because he's got, he's got a far more experience in anti-terrorism than I do. And so <laughs> Michael's is just smiling at him and everything. And then Michael's told him about, uh, a few uh, about a uh, few months later, he says, 
You know, Trey Gowdy was in here in my office, and he said, I'd like that appointment to the House Intelligence Committee, and I think I can really uh, contribute to the uh, uh, to the committee. And he says, but if you're going to appoint anybody and you don't want to appoint me, appoint Radcliffe. <laughs> wow. So, it's kind of, so they both. They both wanted to be that, but they both uh, said that, you know, maybe this guy is better. Trey Gowdy said uh, Radcliffe is better, and Radcliffe said uh, Trey Gowdy's better. But Radcliffe got well, the appointment. And he's the one that said, hey, we picked these things up. Uh, our satellite surveillance picked these things up. Well, and the government has still, admitted that. Why are we still doing the dog and pony show from the attorneys around the world? And you know the judges, because is it still the backroom deals that the politicians are making with the uh, lobbyists? I, I don't understand. I mean, we've got to ask these questions now. It's 2022. You know, we're running out of time here, folks, between 2030 and 40. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about this. We've got people that have been in uniform. Have, we've got cases. That's we separated those. But there's something going on with the pots that we play in for our financial in the military-industrial complex. Okay, let's be serious. Those that award the contracts, so let's be serious because everybody, it doesn't matter what branch of the military or in the military-industrial complex, I guess – from the intelligence agency on down. And then all of them want their money. And they all want – it used to be before 9-11. Everyone remembers that. That is a benchmark in the intelligence community. So, And everybody knows Edward Snowden's name, which I'll probably go to hell and back for mentioning his name in our UFO association. I don't know. But, you know, he he was in Hawaii. I was in Hawaii. We were different times. He's young. He was only 18 at that time, okay? But look at the reality that changed with NSA, okay? And he worked in the CIA building. So, you know, check out his book. It's called uh, Permanent Record and Decide for Yourself. We're just findings of fact investigators here, UFO reporters, ufologists, if you will, historians. But Jan Aldrich is one of the old guys and was honorably asked. Uh, I asked when Jan, uh, well, we've had a lot of Jans in the UFO business. <laughs> so uh, you might remember Jan Harzen from days gone by. Uh, and, of course, Jan Aldrich and Jan Maccabee married to Bruce, Dr. Bruce Maccabee. And Dr. Bruce Maccabee. Uh, was getting up there and um, director from 2015. And then Jan stepped in about, wasn't it 2020, two years ago, that you were asked to take on a lead investigator or at least a council position or director or something? But Yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah. Well, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing the scanning project. So that that's <laughs> taken most of my time. That's, but you that's, do oral that's really you do oral reports, and you yeah, I do because it's uh, you know what that that's the only way you get more information. People come forward then. The uh, 
Um, well, talk more of the Congress on uh, that didn't ask about UFOs because <laughs> well, they didn't have know, the questions uh, to ask. Let's just say well, it like I, it is. I don't folks. know if we have time for this, but uh, <laughs> when, when I was in when I was in the military, and um, uh, uh, we needed to write tests for each specialty. Exactly. So we wrote tests, you know, yeah, what what the uh what the uh uh section chief had to know, what the uh what the sergeants had to know, what the uh um operators had to know. And uh so <clears throat> we used to write these tests and it it it, it, it to a certain extent it determined, you know, uh promotion. You had to, exactly. You had to reach we use an OPM uh, too. We yeah, you, you had to do this management. as a, you had to do this uh, your scope course as your proficiency description. Yes, yes, we have to. So, why don't we have so this? So I, uh, I, I, I had this test. I had this test that I had written. I sent it to the printer. I had it reviewed by everybody in the world. And that's what it seemed like. I had it reviewed by my boss. I had it reviewed by all the different uh, training organizations on Fort Sill. It's, it was a meteorology test. It was something simple. But I was, um, this was the next cycle, and I was the first one out of the box. And um, I was over at the uh, uh, director of uh, uh yeah, director uh, director of training developments. I was over there, and uh, these two two officers were sent to D.C. to um, testify about you know how the uh, how the training tests were going. Congress was concerned that the training test did not measure what they thought it should. And so uh, these two officers were assigned to go to Congress and uh, uh, talk about what was being done at the field artillery school. So they went over there. And when they got to the uh, hearing, they were supposed to have like uh, uh, two or three hours. And... uh, they noticed in the hearing, you know, there's, there's a number of congressmen, but this one congressman, they said, sitting on his, behind him, on his right side, he's, they said, this is the most stunning woman we've ever seen. And the guys were, they were, they were talking to two officers and talking to each other and said, that's got to be the uh, congressman's uh, mistress. And there was another guy over there that they recognized who had been a captain in the army and and had gotten out. He was sitting on the congressman's other side. And so they went, uh, these guys were called up to testify and, you know, congressmen were asking them questions. Um, and this then it came to this congressman. And so he asked the first question and these guys started answering and all of a sudden, he says, they said, we watched 
as this woman dug all these papers out of her briefcase, tabbed them for the uh, congressman and the captain on the other side, the former captain, he was doing the same thing and sliding the things over in front of the congressman. And he said, um, and, and these guys thought, you know, they could just uh, waltz in there and, and kind of give them, you know, everything's okay, uh, everything's all right. And this congressman was not, he wasn't buying that. And they said, it was worse than being in an ambush in Vietnam the way this guy was. He already knew everything. He know, knew all the problems. And he knew what we said we were going to do. And basically, he knew that we weren't doing it. And they said, I, uh, we always, you know, he's, people don't have a lot of respect for congressmen, but this guy knew knew everything. And his assistants, they, they must be super people because they had everything. They knew everything. And uh, all the problems that they were having. And so... Uh, you know, it wasn't, well, the, in my family, wasn't the congressman's, it wasn't the congressman's mistress. It was his main assistant and, and she was, she was a better subject matter expert than they were. And when they figure. came back, they said, they, the uh, Congress said they don't like the way we're doing this program. It's got to, it's got to uh, stop immediately and we've got to retool it. And, well, they need um, to make it joint. I'm up there, Army and Navy I'm up Air there, Force and I'm Force. saying to him, I'm saying to him, I'm up there, and I'm saying to him, what does that mean? It means that you get your uh, test back from the uh, from the printer and rewrite it, and we've got the criteria here. You're the first one to do it, so uh, you're the one that everybody's looking at. And I said, oh my God. And so that's uh I didn't have any experience with Congress, but that was that was the uh that was a pretty interesting thing. And uh it's a it's a little different than people think it is. What the uh what those guys needed on that uh committee, they needed that that woman and the former army captain sitting in back of the you know, one of the congressman that was going to be an expert on that thing and feeding him information. That's what they needed. Well, you know, they always go national security. You understand. They always yell yell national security. You know, everybody would shut up because, oh, well, this has to do with national security. Two key words, folks, that journalists know about, okay? But they blame Washington for various things in the Hill, the circle around Fort Meade, NSA, CIA, but yet they don't, they've been releasing all this stuff to historians. You don't need to know. I mean, it's out there in cyberspace culture now. So this lady that's in charge of the 16, you know, let's give her credit, but at the same time, the people that are putting in the UAP, I mean, they better regroup the UAP associates because the people that are wearing the suits, you know, mostly white Anglo-Saxon Protestant guys, we used to call them WASP. I've been called one myself, although I'm a woman. 
But I've also been called a woman in black or men in black, and I'm a woman, but they only had MIB back then. But they said, remember these guys, you know. And then I was told Strom Thurmond asked me about what I knew about UFOs. That's how I got in the business, I'm guessing. But then it was, you know, Philip Corso, and it was J. Allen Hynek. But I was in uniform, in and out of uniform, in a government service, GS, Office of Personnel Management, in and out of – you know, I was flying everywhere, in and out of country. So I did my job, and I thought I was doing a good job as a you know, investigator, former private investigator, legal investigator. And then you know, it wasn't until I got into the civilian world that I really started finding out what's going on. I felt like you know, this spiritual awakening is one thing. But the government awakening is another, and then you mix what you've done in uniform with what you found out is a GS status. It's like the difference between wage grade in blue collar and officer enlisted, white to blue collar. And that's, I think, how Trump came out was he went uh, construction, and he was all real estate, right? But who knows, because look at Biden with all the prior – as a politician, and now he's president. So – you know, we don't can't talk both sides about the UFO business, or can we? Why don't doesn't either side, if they call on the side of the aisle, on the hill, so to speak, why didn't one side outshine the other? It wasn't even a red state, blue state thing. You know, it's supposed to be finding the fact in the intelligence community. And we already went through the 9-11 and the reshaping of national security are – what we call homeland security, and I guess I don't know what we're going to do with this because that looked like a dog and pony show, okay? And they can't fall back when they've got Putin yelling one thing and I don't know, Xi Ping or whatever his name is. I can't even say it. And China saying another. <laughs> it's hard to keep up globally with 195 countries. And that's what we're faced with now. We are looking at global, you know, the big bank, world banks versus Bitcoin. And now all the little companies, including Microsoft, PayPal, Google, they're all going to take Bitcoin. And, this, you know, Disney and their little ATMs at the Disney World, they're going to have Bitcoin taken because the kids are learning that. I'll have a kid on this next uh, Sunday. So y'all come, or he's 31. He's a kid to me because I'm 70. And Jan's older than me, but we're telling you, we knew this stuff back when, okay? And we know it now, but they don't ask the people that know this stuff that lived it. They put these people that have no clue because they have voting power in suits, in constituents. They have, you know, they have to make sure they're keeping their job. So let's think about who we're putting in office. But the lobbyists for all the big corporations that want all the big money, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm just giving you what I think. It's my opinion. What happened? Are you there, Jim? No, I'm here. I'm here. Um, what happened? Did you turn it on? You know what I'm saying? No, I I'm here. I'm here. Stop. Okay. I'm here. Okay. Can you well, hear me? I'll get off my stop, Jim. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll um, get off. I'll let you have it back. But you know what I'm saying is I'm just really right. thinking that we as people that are known historians, known journalists, known researchers, you're scanning because you can't get people to do it for the old stuff. We're trying to be the 
baby boomers, right? That are trying to get well, our what stuff I'm doing is this this is Oh, look, uh, UFO, uh, the the UFO field, the serious people in it, and there's not then there's not a heck of a lot of them because a lot of them are are doing all kinds of um, conspiracy theory and stuff like that. I am trying to look it's at UFO. I am I don't care about there. Yeah, there is. Hollywood. There is stuff. I don't even think that a lot of people in the government now know where this stuff is. I don't even <laughs> think they look up at night, Jan. I don't even think nineteen seventy-seven. The the uh, deputy secretary for public information, Bob Pratt, asked the deputy uh, secretary for information uh, in nineteen seventy-seven. He said. What do you guys do about UFOs now? And he said, <laughs> we record them and we file them. And well, he said, one of the places that we file them is the National Military Command Center. And when the uh, 1975 uh, overflights happened, the... Uh, the mystery helicopters and everything, uh, uh, that's where they found that stuff. They found it in the National Military Command Center. Um, and each one of the, uh, so the, uh, uh, that was FOIA was brand new. So uh, uh, they, they, you know, they just released all that stuff. And uh, Barry Green was able to write his book, uh, um, clear intent or the UFO cover-up afterwards, he, they re- retitled it. But uh, um, so that's where he got that information from the command center. Uh, and uh, uh, Robert Todd and, and other people. And uh, there, there, you know, there's other, you know, they talked about lowering Air Force Base um Minot uh Maelstrom but there were other places too uh um well, what which, about Edwards uh, Air Force Base way back when back when we were in What's that? What about So uh, you... Barksdale Air Force Base Plattsburgh uh-huh. and uh uh South Carolina, the uh, Charleston uh, Navy base where they had nuclear weapons. All these places had nuclear weapons, and that's what these supposed helicopters were looking at, flying over with uh, with uh, with with uh, supposedly. high high intensity uh lights and everything um, uh not all of that's come out but uh all these all these new guys they all know it's the northern tier no it isn't it's it was all over the country 
And even non-nuclear bases were being uh, overflown. Uh, Cannon Air Force Base in uh, in New Mexico. There's all kinds of stuff that was going on there, and that was where the F-111s were at the time. So, and nobody's ever had an answer for that. What what was going on? No answer. No answer. Lots and lots of documents, but no answer. In fact, the CIA just released another document about it a little while ago <coughs> about lowering well, Air Force Base. <laughs> Everybody's doing their part. It's just that the guys in the suit aren't listening because of their constituents. So the, uh, they have to save their position, I would imagine. Yeah, Brad Sparks wrote about the uh, uh, September uh, 20th 1975 uh, um, high-speed uh, reconnaissance mission that went from uh, Montauk over to uh, over to Chicago. Uh, they were getting ready to brief the president on that, and uh, so Brad Sparks wrote that up for the uh, Jerry Clark's latest edition of the uh, in, uh, UFO Encyclopedia. He wrote up that case. Uh, from from a number of different sources. Not only does he get it, he gets it published inside the thing, but then the CIA goes and releases more information. They released the uh, the log at the CIA with, with, that told all the things that were going on. So this, uh, and there were, you know, there were a hair's breadth about breathing the president and somebody said, nah, we don't need to bother him with that. We'll just, We'll just keep it in house here, but um, the, uh, so there's a there's a uh, there's a lot of stuff that's just um, let's put it this way: it hasn't been put together by the uh, by the military. And one of the things we're finding in doing a scanning project was um, Brad Sparks had a list of. Project Blue Book cases um, that was 1,700. Okay, the regular number is supposedly 701 unknowns. Uh, Sparks uh, using information that Heineck had and other people, they re- they did a reevaluation of some of the cases. <clears throat> they did his own reevaluation. We had this retired uh, Navy fighter pilot that helped us with that. Uh, I I helped Sparks, and uh, what we what we did is uh, uh, I don't think anybody had gone and looked at the 4602nd uh, air uh, air intelligence service squadron. I don't think anybody had looked at their records. We found one uh, one case uh, from Cochise, New Mexico, and the Air Force had explained it. And I said, there is no Cochise, New Mexico. I looked in the uh, in the 4602nd records, and there's a case for Cochise, Arizona, 
and the Project Blue Book had got the location wrong and, and a lot of the facts wrong, and the 4602nd had their correct facts, and it turned out that this aircraft uh, was sighting UFOs, and they were uh, interfering with his radio, and he was at Cochise. That's one of the relay points for the radio, and uh, we were able to correct the information, and so that becomes to us an unknown. So that just adds one more to the unknowns. But we did that with a number of cases in the 4602nd. They had additional information. When we looked at what the Air Force said the case was and looked at the 4602nd, it's kind of, you know, <clears throat> It was obvious that the Blue Book cases were not as good. They weren't investigated good enough, and the 4602nd material was not, in some cases, not all. Most cases, the 4602nd, that's where the Air Force got their information. But in some cases, um, their their uh, explanations were it wouldn't hold water. And so that's well, how Brad Sparks got, got go 1,700 cases of unknowns instead of the 701 the Air Force said. Well, let's talk about that because J. Allen Hynek may have started off, I don't know, with or without money, but you tell me what you think because it went sideways. And I don't know, you know, we always blame the same stories we've told over and over again, and I'm guilty of it. Back to War of the Worlds, and we can't handle the truth, you know. And, you know, Jim Mars, and, you know, he used to, well, he was a Texas investigator, folks, but, you know, God bless him. He uh, listened to us and got in touch with us with UFO Digest, and I learned about him through Canada, actually, because they were putting out more information. But Jim Mars, you know, he said, me and my husband told him our, uh, back then we weren't talking publicly, uh, but, he, my husband's passed now, so I can tell his story. But, you know, we were telling him about the nuclear bases and underground and all that. It's just my husband was Army and I was Navy, and we worked – I worked joint chiefs of staff, and they weren't playing well together. So the Army was in charge of security, at least underground. The Air Force had basically the air, and Navy had sea and supposed to be land with the CBs, which I worked with in Hawaii for a short time. But, you know, by land, by sea, by air, you know, and we're supposed to be doing allied command out of Europe and NATO. So globally, this is a global concern. It's not just the land dwellers anymore. It's those in space now that we're putting up all the satellites. But Jim Mars and my husband, you know, my, he, he, Jim Mars quoted what my husband said. Basically, my husband was the inside you know, USS2, Army, work for Reagan, CIA kind of guy. And, you know, his intelligence was they let us have the matches. Uh, they were scared we were going to nuke ourselves. So I don't know how you feel, Jan, but that is an important topic is so many of them came up around our silos because we were being silly. We were trying to – in every country. So – you know, we divided the planet up by plates, and we divided the investigations up by plates and by, uh, I guess you'd say, world powers. 
But this, you know, the intelligence community, do you think they've really got a handle on the entire planet just because they listen to signals? Is that all we do? What about the people walking on the planet? But what is your advice, Jan? Because you've already heard all the people that like to talk about their experiences. And I'm, and no, you know, we need testimonies, but you and me would be on testimony if they brought us. Want to know why do we know? I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I can't believe that uh, um, that somebody isn't looking at this. But it doesn't need to be a big look, you know. Look at uh, look at Project Bluebook. I mean, they just they convinced themselves that there was nothing to it. Bias um, that was planned, and that was yeah. To cover so uh, Heineck like said after after Captain well. Gregory. After Captain Gregory left, the files were in a mess. But uh, Heinrich said, "Hey, look, we need to use a computer to uh, to find similar cases." And uh, uh, Gregory told Heinrich, "There's no, there's no sense of doing that. Every case is different, which is, of course, not true. And that's why Heinrich came up with that classification." Um, well, you keep mentioning Heineck about ten years company. later. Uh, Quintanella told Heineck the same thing. There's no sense using a computer here. Each case is different, and there's nothing similar. Um, and when you get into the Project Blue Book things, there's so much stuff that's missing, misfiled. Um, we knew that. Uh, that's it. I came yeah. in it on was, a special yeah, uh, assignment for that reason. Because and, and that's what, like I said, Brad Sparks, we, uh, um, Brad Sparks wrote up the uh, 1953 April 14th case. He wrote that up for the uh, for the um, uh, encyclopedia. It, it's a it's a very interesting case. It's. It, uh, if, if it's an aircraft, it's way ahead of its time. Anyways, they, is it, the Navy had a was flying an intelligence mission north of Japan, 1953, and they they uh, this big object was out there. It was at night; they couldn't see, so they um, um, you know. And then these other objects show up, smaller ones, like, yeah, I don't know. Well, but, let's go into description. You're uh, going by so I, much I, I, I talked to the Navy fighter, and he said, you know, it's a little far from, uh, from Vladivostok for the Russians to come down there and loiter around for as long as they did because – as this plane's trying to uh, get back to Japan, uh, these smaller ones are making runs at it. And the pilot got down to 400 uh, feet above the water, and they're making runs under his plane and between the water. Now, they weren't firing runs, but they were really close. And... Uh, <clears throat> The the Navy guys on the plane felt that uh, um, they were being harassed, 
and uh, that the uh, big object was directing the smaller objects to uh, to make runs at them, about 70 of them. And so that's in Blue Book, sitting in Blue Book. It's from the Navy. It's sitting in Blue Book. And I'm saying, so is there no conclusion? Did anybody do any analysis? It's just sitting there in Blue Book. And uh, I'm saying this is this is an amazing thing. And then uh, Greenwood got um, the Marine Corps uh, weekly combat report reports mm-hmm. from uh, from the first Marine Air Wing, and uh, the first Marine Air Wing, the way they uh, reported stuff, they would report all the unidentified aircraft that had been seen. Then under that, UFOs that had been reported. And so they had this uh, April 53 case in there, but it had more information. So Sparks rewrote his article. It's on Project 47. Look at historical reports, 1953. It's right in there. He rewrote it with more information that the, that the Marine Corps had su- su- uh, supplied in their uh, in their combat summary. Um, so that, that was a very interesting thing. Uh, uh, the Air Force had collected a lot of Korean reports that you know um, Richard Haynes had wrote a book about. You know, advanced aerial. Uh, devices in the Korean War. He wrote a book about it, um, and here the Marine uh, and his source was Project Blue Book and the Air Force. And here the Marine Corps, their uh, their air wing is writing about uh, some of the same ca- cases or even some that were not in Blue Book, and uh, that just fell into. Uh, into our laps, and, and that's that's a great thing. But uh, apparently, there wasn't much coordination going on. Can you help me? Because you keep mentioning Heineck, folks. I met J. Allen Heineck, okay, in the air, <laughs> in a jet. <laughs> I think for the first time, I may have met him on Lowry Air Force Base again, and uh, but. He was part of my education into ufology, and he was disgruntled with Project Blue Book, okay? And, you know, he had money, from what I understood, but he had run out, apparently, and I don't know between Larry – I was the uh, adjutant, I guess, joint ACIR uh, for the – uh, NASA, Navy, Chris Craft, whoever you want to say, with my clearance from Navy to the intelligence community, whoever had it, you know, whoever, the Navy, I don't know because they would never tell me. A psychiatrist asked me if I mind the intelligence community buying my government contract from the Navy. But at the time, J. Allen Hynek was he, – he had started sort of a – now, you can correct me if you're wrong with your opinion, uh, Jan, but he was under the impression that it was there was it was all sort of not really happening in the beginning. But 
because he came in with the uh, help me remember the first real big thing because the press covered the Cascade Mountains in Washington. Remember you and I talked about Fate Magazine. Remember the they called it Flying Saucers. And, you know, all the people that came in after, like Stan Friedman, was big on flying saucers are real. And uh, you remember, uh, what was his name? Not Stumblebine. Uh, well, anyway, some of the people that wrote the books, okay, the authors in the UFO field. But J. Allen Hynek changed his way of thinking. I don't think they did a very good job. But, again, it was biased reporting for the government. And keeping it out of the hands, and they used Hollywood and Orson Welles as in radio, which is what Jan and I are doing now. We'll always have radio because radio airwaves carry out there forever, so we'll always do radio. But Jan, like Heineck, is like an astronomical consultant. Jan is a meteorologist. He spent 16 years in the U.S. Army. He's as qualified as they come. I was a, a private investigator and went to school, law enforcement, criminal justice, and forensics, and uh, worked in the government. as a, you know, I did private investigator, then I did federal cases, and then I did out of country. I did uh, Agent Orange, uh, defoliant, DD245T, class action suit, BCB, polychlorinated by phenyls, and I knew my business, and I was a woman. And so they were trying a woman – investigator with joint chiefs of staff assigned allegedly out of the Pentagon, but J. Allen Hynek was supposed to get money on the civilians. So let me tell you how this works. NASA in the intelligence community, in our government, the United States of America, 1967 when I got my first clearance and we done in 72, which the intelligence community has, <laughs> from that forward, there were people working from Air Force, including uh, Carl Schleicher and then MRU and some very brilliant people in psychology and uh, doing separating because of the Russians and the conscious. And it split right about that time. <laughs> we had the uh, Stargate Project, uh, Ingo Swan, uh, Pat Price, uh, Russell Targ, uh, Paul H. Smith, who am I forgetting? That separated, like with SRI, as for all you UFO enthusiasts. So we do have that branch of extraterrestrial investigations. We always have, and the, the remote viewers and the psychics are not the same, but different. But it's under Nero in parapsychology and psychology, and Dr. Leo Sprinkle, and Dr. Raymond Moody got involved. But Dr. Leo Sprinkle was back in my day. Now, I don't know if Jan had any part of that, but J. Allen Hynek did. Now, whether uh, they knew or shared it with Hollywood, I don't know. But I know Hynek, didn't he help on uh, the close encounters of the kind with Stephen yeah, Spielberg? Yeah, yeah, they the took press? his, yeah, yeah, Spielberg, uh, I think Spielberg uh, didn't, Give him a fair shake on that. Well, talk about and it. It made a I lot of money for Spielberg, he and he didn't. He 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 just gave uh, Heineck uh, three hundred dollars. Uh, I think it was twenty thousand dollars and a uh, 
and a small part, a small walk-on in the movie. Twenty K uh, for yeah, being he's, an expert consultant. Yeah, yeah, That's but right. uh, the, uh, they used his title. Now, um, uh, Wait, the Cosmopolitan, the woman that ran Cosmopolitan, she uh. wrote Sex and the Single Girl and uh, Helen Gurley Brown. Uh, they yeah. gave her a million dollars for just to use her title. Wow, that's not fair. That's yeah, yeah, Heine so didn't get, get anything. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, that uh, that's fine. That's Spielberg. That's, you know, that that was their business. They had business together. Um, so it's all the about thing, the uh, After Project Blue Book closed, I don't have any, uh, I don't have much but if you go to my site, you'll find a few words about the late Dr. Heineck. Okay. And uh, that's uh, uh, what I put together. Um, one of the things that uh, 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 VJ uh, uh, Ballister almost told me was uh, he was in Heineck's uh, Invisible College, and he said, uh, Heineck still worked for the government after 1970. He All had right, now it's called the Invisible College, but I didn't know what it meant. I thought it meant men in black or women in black. What's it mean? No, no, it was <laughs> just a bunch of guys that <laughs> need... didn't want didn't want their names out there. They didn't want to be All out. Right. It, so well, they didn't want my name. VJ VJ was sure. one of them. Uh, Belisser almost was one of them. Um, Beckman. Uh, I don't know. They're, 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 I saw a list. There, there's about 20 of them or so, you know. Well, they say Anyways. they started with him with Northwestern University because of Lonnie's the but that's case. Yeah, well, I'm Remember talking about the, the government now. I'm talking about the government. Oh. Um, so uh, Robert Todd was writing to the uh, uh, Navy intelligence. You know, he's asking for... Uh, he was putting in FOIA requests. Yeah, I've seen. And of course, the Navy never has anything. They can't find anything. Uh, we don't have it. No, there's no no file that you're interested in. Nothing like that. So, um, one day, got, Todd got uh, angry and he wrote the uh, the um, the guy he was dealing with. And he says, look, your fingerprints are all over a lot of these UFO cases. That is, the <laughs> Navy's fingerprints are all over these. Yeah, Navy. And Go you're Navy. telling me that you don't have any information. Hoorah. And this guy, <laughs> I guess, he just, he just, uh, you know, he and Todd got along. So he wrote back and he said, the Navy does not consider UFOs at this time, uh, uh, an item of intelligence interest. We are only doing these investigations to help the Air Force. Well, that's a hell of an admission. And that's about the same time that Heineck was still a consultant. So I'm putting one and one together and coming out with 17, uh, a prime number divided by five, 
Of course, you can't divide pride and numbers. What I'm saying is, I don't know, but there's evidence, at least until 1975, that there was still going something going on. And then uh, if we're to believe the uh, Deputy Secretary for Public Information, he's saying, well, we stopped investigating, but we, uh, we uh, continued to file the reports. So, uh, um, well, I was there's some explaining to do here. There's some explaining to do. When he brought me in to whatever, I didn't know what they were talking about. In, in whether I was in uniform or out of uniform, you know, whether I was a private investigator, legal investigator, owned my own company, I was brought in as a contractor, whatever. You know, the lady that's running this place for our intelligence, she doesn't know who I am. I bet she doesn't know who you are. I, well, she, I know she doesn't know who I am. Well, she doesn't know who but I am. Were, and we're the guys with the information down here. We were the boots on the ground. Well, yeah, but I didn't get it from the government. Well, I got it from the government in a roundabout way, but... Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, I've read way, everything. But I wanted I've to read, know. They told they, me to um, know. NASA <clears> told <throat> me to know. Air Force told me to know. Navy told me to know. Army told me to know. NSA, CIA, hmm. whoever. They all wanted to know, and they were all fighting over the money. Uh, where, who would know what? That was the game they were playing. That's the game I felt like was they were passing the ball around. Right. So ACIR was assigned one person, and I was it, to handle the ball when I was a teenager. And NASA, I liked IBM, and I liked computers, and I was a psychic, and I – could do readings, and the engineers and the astronauts thought I was cute. So, you know, whether people want to believe in Tompkins' books or not, there were people that knew stuff. I wasn't. I got to go up to NASA and listen to Bogey Ten O'clock High. Okay, I mean, I heard it with my own ears, folks. Right, so I know things. Jan knows things, but are people listening? This is why we're here today. This is the UFO Association. If you want to be in it, Jan and I will do our best to help you. We're not just entertainment. We're not just spirituality. We're not just ufologists. I would say we want to get the facts historians, but we want to get the facts straight, whether they're military uh, individuals with stories to tell because they were in the military. That's what they liked, but that's not all there is. And even Jan and I know more out of uniform than we know in uniform. And so what do you collect? You know, I told you, Jan, tell them. You got in it. I got into it. We got into it really as kids. You saw an orb, which got to be like the Cascade Mountains. It goes all the way back. Tell them what year I saw UFOs, orbs, uh, second grade. I was, I was in – I was in uh... – I was in junior high, and it was uh, during uh, Christmas vacation, uh, 56, and uh, there was thunder wow. snow that day. <clears throat> and uh, I saw chimney got hit by lightning. You're 56, and, and I'm I saw, 57. Uh, I saw a ball lightning in the, uh, in the oven, which when I opened the oven door, it exploded, and it had a sound like... Uh, the old, uh, uh, oh, God, I can't remember the name of the firecracker now. 
it, it was pretty loud. They used to call uh, them, you know, uh, actually, I lost my balance and fell, 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 fell on my backside. So that that it was pretty loud. Is uh, uh, I asked my father what it was. He couldn't tell me, and that's when I started researching. And then I got interested from <clears throat> finding out about ball lightning to UFOs was uh, <clears throat> my next step. So that's how I got interested in UFOs. Now you claim the year claim the year so everybody hears that you're claiming nineteen fifty six is your phenomenal uh what do you want to call it? Your days right, right well, or your... Yeah, like I said, that was ball lightning, so it's about a year but later. But that was a phenomenon. That would be considered yeah. under uh phenomenal intelligence, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, well, what what it said in Encyclopedia Botanica, they had a big long entry about ball lightning. You get to the end and it says scientists doubt it exists. So that All was right, the, so uh, you know when I started researching UFOs. That's you know everybody's saying no, it doesn't really exist. It's just the uh, it's just a folk tale. Well. Well, forty-seven. Now we got the uh, we got the uh, director of national intelligence saying no, it isn't. It's it's more important. So. <laughs> well, what do you think? You're collecting all these intelligence clips from newspapers, but that used to be the way it was. If it made the newspaper, it must be real. But the the newspapers, and we're going to talk about the original big thing. I wasn't alive in forty-seven, but it was. Unknown phenomena in 1947 about our flying saucers. Dr. J. Allen Hynek said a primary aim of science to satisfy human curiosity, to probe the unknown, to open the path for intellectual adventure through scientists being quite human have often inadvertently given the opposite impression. That's Dr. J. Allen Hynek. But think about it. The world of unknown phenomena in 47. Now, we go back to 43, of course, in the files because that's what Steven Spielberg did, right, with the Foo Fighters and everything. But a peculiar world in June 1947 with Kenneth, Kenneth Arnold sighting. He was – we use our pilots. We have a lot of pilots in our organizations. And they saw this strange they, machine scapping through Mount Rainier. Okay, that's Washington State. Washington claims that. I've been there, done an investigation, sent there with my husband, right there. We actually boots on the ground to see that he had what he had seen. But he said, I am convinced in my own mind that they were some type of airplane, even though they did not conform with the many aspects of the conventional types of plane that I know. Now, his name was Kenneth Arnold. A-R-N-O-L-D, in the spring of 1948, Fate Magazine 1, okay? So that set off a whole new thing in our business. Flying saucers became UFOs later on. Now, you want to tell them how UFO, do you have a, uh, who would, who do you give credit for? An author, the Air Force guy that wrote, I won't just quote Stan Friedman, but I'll quote you, Jan Aldrich. Well, uh, in 1947, there's a Canadian report, um, I think it's uh, 3 July, 
and they use the UFO. Yeah, they do. No, they don't use UFO. They use uh, unidentified flying, flying object in their report. So that's yes. interesting. And the unidentified but, uh, flying. Uh, and uh, the Ruppelt claims that he invented UFO. The, the there you acronym. go. I'm glad you said it. Now quote his complete name for us because he has the book. It's mine's all tattered and torn and lost the front. <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah. I lost can, most I think of my you, I collection. I think you can get it from Amazon for a couple of bucks now, though. It's, well, uh, tell them what it is. It's the most the important of, in your report collection. report on unidentified flying objects. And uh, he revealed uh, a whole bunch of things about what was going on officially because he was the head of Project Blue Book for about a year and a half. Uh, now... Uh, he is actually some a of the UFO things in there that, that, that uh, some of the things in that book he's the only source for them because a lot <laughs> of documents have been lost so he's he's the source of certain things and some of the thing some of the information that came from him second third and even fourth hand are uh, that's the best we got now, some of the things we've gone back and found, some documents that talk about things that he did. We, uh, everybody talks about the letter written by uh, General Twining. Uh, let me tell you, General Twining didn't write that letter. He signed it. There's a difference. The, uh, <clears throat> the staff at uh, Air Materiel Center had a meeting called by Twining. There, there were two other general officers there, uh, General Put, General Brittnell, uh Howard McCoy's uh, full colonel. He was, uh, but his, uh, his uh, slot that he was filling, he was, you know, he was, a, he, he, his grade was below what his, um, what his slot was, his slot was Deputy Commanding General AMC for Intelligence. That's what his slot was. He's the one that wrote the letter. Anybody that knows anything about military correspondence, all as you do, maybe not the Navy. The Navy's got their own system of correspondence, but the Army and the Air Force, they're almost similar. You go to the now, upper right-hand corner... And and the guy that wrote the letter, the guy that is responsible, and if you're a higher uh, higher officer and you want to uh, discuss it, the initials are right there. It's Howard H. McCoy, but it's H-H-H-M, and his telephone number is right there. And then the secretary that typed it, in case she made a typo or something, and it, there's some kind of possibility of misunderstanding, her name's there, and then her telephone number. So the staff got together. They're the ones that put this, put the letter together. McCoy wrote it, and then uh, Twining signed it, as this is the opinion of the experts and leaders of 
Intermateriel Command. That's what it was. Everybody calls it a twining letter. He didn't go in his office and write it. It was that's the way it was written. Now you're going by yeah, findings yeah. of fact based on historical yeah, evidence. Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, I'm going that I know how military staff works and how now, uh, military correspondence works. And so I when I see the command. when I see the uh, uh, initials up there, I know who is <clears throat> who's responsible. Now, Everybody Howard likes H. to kick McCoy. around this thing. This this just shows how how mm-hmm. how in ufology we really were really not that proficient. Everybody calls it the uh, Bolender memo. One, it's not. The memo well, even though they in. call themselves ufologists, and that's one thing Stan yeah. Friedman pointed out to me and J. Allen Hynek, is if we were going to keep this going, I had to find 100 ufologists. And I told uh, – oh, what's the lady that bought fate? You and I were talking about – You know, she Oh, you mean uh, Jenny Zeidman? No, the uh, not the secretary. Uh, no. Not, I want to say Irina Scott. I put her picture up, Irene Scott. Uh, the other woman with Fate, the one that was in Minnesota, she bought Fate. Why oh, she, it's Curtis. Yeah, yeah. The lady. Yeah, and Curtis Fuller's wife. I'm not sure what her name if, was. Well, uh, darn it. She's going to. She told me don't forget her. Jesse Marcel told me don't forget him. Uh, the lady, because she had the. She bought Fate. Uh, I don't know that she was a ufologist, but she she was into esoterics. Now, we got to mention, folks, there's a whole other branch that we will be handling as Alien Contact. But we have uh, George Adamski, whether you want to believe in him or not, and uh, George Adamski, Polish-American author. But he became known as a contactee. But back in the day, what did they call them? Were they called ex- – now they, now they call them experiencers, contactees, experiencers. But uh, that's a whole other show we'll have. These, and then there's Bob Lazar and Jalen Heineck. So we follow in our code uh, the government UFO. Uh, when you're prior military, you tend to go with a Jalen Heineck. And uh, I went with, uh, and so, so I believe uh, Jan will agree. Carl uh, and her husband, and, and uh, is it Andreessen? What's her name? Carl. Gosh, I'm getting old. I can't remember. I'm tired. It's been I've been on radio shows all day. Wasn't it Mark Carl and Mark Andreessen? Who who started that before MUFON, before Mutual UFO Network, and that guy left because he was a university. Oh, uh, Walt Anders. Walt Anders started MUFON. Walter Anders. Yeah, but he was at the university. But talk about Carl. Remember. APRO, right? Yeah, that's uh, Coral Lorenzen. Oh, okay. Lorenzen, I'm saying. Yeah, she was the the main. Lorenzen. Her her husband was director for a time because she was sick, but she was the main person running APRO. So, folks, there you go. Women, women, women. So, Jan's been telling you. We've been around. We just don't get kudos. 
after the Me Too thing, and Anders, uh, of course, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard that started this. I'm going to go full circle. And then congressional, the people, these dog and pony shows, they're to get our attention for what? And I suggest to you that there's a lot of things going behind closed doors that both parties are aware of, okay? And money, money, money. Follow the money, folks. Whenever you're in doubt, especially if you're joining our UFO Association. Now, right now, we've only got $5 memberships for monthly for if you want to get involved with us. But we have a $25 to advertise. But now Jan has Project 1947. And how can uh, – he's been really given a lot of his time and money to help Center of UFO Studies – Mutual UFO Network, and another one, not to mention his history group he just had in Michigan. Plus, he just went down to Houston. I thought we were going to get time to talk about that, but we'll have to get him to come back. So, Jan, uh, you've got a lot to cover, not to mention getting down in the Rice University where, you know, Houston, where I got my chops was in Houston. You know, I went to uh, Louisiana till the ninth grade and then skipped over ninth grade to tenth in Houston. And so, but I came back to Birmingham for university. So what do you want to say about when you can come back? Because you're the one that travels. I'm stationary computer lady for right now. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not going to travel much more, but I know I have two. You want to come back Friday? Two on the horizon. One is going to be, uh, I'm going out to New Mexico to help with the, the uh, scanning project yeah, in the files, and then uh, University of Wyoming that has uh, a pretty big collection of Dr. Uh, Richard Haynes uh, aircraft sightings. So I'll be doing that this year. So that's two, probably uh, two months out of the rest of the year that I'll be doing that. All right, well, we're going to do three different – well, I'm doing alienology, cosmology, and ufology, but we've got it all surrounding space, of course, which cosmology deals with everything, metaphysics, cosmology. Now, um, you brought up the lady in charge of our intelligence communities, so can you come back to do public relations work for this lady in intelligence? <laughs> I'm sorry. You were sounding like such a. She didn't need any help from me. She know she's she. Uh, she's probably one of the best intelligence people that they've had for ages. Uh, even though Biden appointed a woman. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I'm a woman. Well, they, they get, you know they, uh, they think uh, I'm a man on the phone. Uh, uh, Michael's appointed. Uh, <laughs> Radcliffe. <laughs> She's a baby. She was born in August 27th, 1969. My God, she's... Yeah, but look at all she's done. Look at year, all she's done. My, I had my daughter in April. But boy, my daughter didn't in, have uh, 1969. She hasn't accomplished this. But she did go to the University of Chicago, which is a good thing, Georgetown University. She's a Democrat. Believe it or not, so if all you Republicans out there go, oh, my God, intelligence community. But she's supposed to be bipartisan. They voted her in, folks. So, you know, give uh, 
you know, credit where it's due. They crossed over on the hill. But we got to get over all this red, blue, purple stuff. We got to get over it. They do that by votes, and it's all control, control, control. So you guys need to get over all this programming we've been doing. <laughs> and let's, you know, I know they say me and you are programmed because we wore a uniform, but believe it or not, you come out at uniform, you're still loyal to your country, the United States of America, to the flag, and these colors don't run, folks. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. We didn't go by that when we were in uniform. It was team effort. You do remember that, right, Jan? <laughs> Take one I, I remember one thing. Uh, I remember we reading should, about uh, <laughs> Roger Young. Uh, Hello? Terry. I uh, dropped off. I was uh, hesitant to to say any. You know, you don't know who you're standing next to. <laughs> uh, you might, you know, you you know, the guy may not look like uh, uh, a uh, um, you know a uh, parade soldier, and uh, he might have some problems. But you may be standing next to Roger Young, and Roger Young uh, 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 was not uh, a very impressive guy as far as his uniform, and he had big glasses and everything. But uh, when it came to uh, uh, engaging the enemy, he just... He he stood his ground, and he gave back much more than, you know, he took. And so they uh, they actually wrote us a song about him, said, To the everlasting glory of the infantry shines the name of Roger Young. And so my thing was always, I don't know who I'm standing next to. This guy may not look like much. But I may be standing next to the next Roger Young. So there you go. Uh, it didn't matter, you know, uh, white, black, uh, Native American. You you just don't know who this what what's going to happen, and you don't know who you're standing next to. So uh, well, we didn't have time for that. Well, this lady is very accomplished. Even though she was yes, only she she's a baby, 69, she's younger than we are. We've done more before she came along, but look what she did from 1969. That was her time she came to the planet, folks, whether she chose it or not. depends on if you're a Latter-day Saint. But, you know, she did work in the CIA, so she got trained. She knows what analysts do. She knows the difference in signal intelligence and human intelligence, Okay. So she knows whether we're in uniform or whether we're civil servants, whether we're retired or we're still willing yeah. to work as baby boomers. She knows that she's been on the Hill. She knows what the CIA involves with. She understands the democ- democracy and, you know, fighting for the Constitution. So, you know, let's give her a chance. Okay, folks, whether you're – I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican – you know, this is uh, 
who's leading our intelligence community. So Avril Hayes, it sounds like Admiral Hayes. It's A-V-R-I-L space H-A-I-N-E-S, confirmed by the U.S. Senate, okay? She's the first female national intelligence chief. And so as public relations officers, unpaid (laughs) for cyberspace culture and UFO association, Jan Aldrich and Teresa J. Morris are fans of the Naval Intelligence. Or I guess we better not say that. We better say she was an American attorney and a former government official, but she is now serving as the director of national intelligence in the Biden administration. But we're very proud to be sharing the UFO Association for Public Relations. And that's all we got time for tonight, folks, is your UFO reporters. <laughs> I know we didn't cover much, Jan, but can you come back next Friday maybe? If anybody sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it again. All right. So okay, let's that keep sounds good. Time. Same time, same station, folks. Thank you, Jan. You did an excellent job. We covered a lot, but not a, not what even not even a drop in the bucket yet, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, ufology is uh, it, it, it's more than anybody can handle. All these guys that say they know everything or they figured out what's going on, they don't know anything. I, like I don't know I anything. Don't know I find out, I, I find out ten new things every day. That's right. We don't know nothing. At folks, least, so we're just at least digging. ten new things every day. That's right. We're digging holes, folks. We're just looking. We're we're just explorers. You know, we're historians, analysts, and journalists, and just doing our thing. So it doesn't matter what hat you wear, but we're all in the same boat. So God bless America. God bless the USA, and God bless the intelligence community in Avril Haines. Thank you, Jan Aldrich, for all that you've done for us. So UFOs, J. Allen Hynek, believe it or not, come back and here's some more right here. And I am your host, and I was the writer for UFO Digest for many years. And uh, God bless Dirk Vanderplug telling me to be T.J. Morris ET Radio. He gave me my brand, so God bless him. Robert Morningstar is still available. He's doing uh, his own thing now, but I'll be doing your reporting on UFO Association with Jan Aldrich right here, folks, on Friday nights. Unless Jan's off working, scanning at a university or a library or helping his fellow ufologists. All right? So come back and be a UFO reporter, Jan. You did a good job, I think. I'll let you know if anybody okay. really hates your voice. <laughs> All right. Love and light, folks. Thank you, Jan. See you next week. Same time, same okay, station. Okay, bye. Next week. Bye. All right, next week. Thank you.
Yeah. 